afternoon. You are listening to The Scoop on CFRC 101.9 FM, CFRC.ca, and podcasting on Spotify and iTunes. I'm Kareem Mosna. A 32-page review of how Queen's determines Indigenous identity in its hiring process was released on Friday. The report was initiated following the release of a document last year titled Investigation into False Claims to Indigenous Identity at Queen's University alleging several Queen's instructors had falsely claimed Indigenous identity. The report from the Indigenous advisory firm First Peoples Group calls for Queen's to apologize and acknowledge the pain caused by the issue. The report recommends when hiring for a teaching position that should be held by an Indigenous person, that only those who are qualified and of Indigenous identity that can be validated should be considered. It also recommends establishing an Indigenous Studies Department and hiring four Indigenous study faculty members. Principal Patrick Dean responded by saying the university accepts the recommendations and will form an Indigenous Oversight Council. Janice Hill is the Associate Vice Principal of Indigenous Initiatives and Reconciliation at Queen's. She also assisted in the dialogue process between the university and First Peoples Group. She joined me to share some perspective on the report. Do you think this is really a, big, a major step in the right direction? Um, I do believe it's a step in the right direction that uh, we were, re- I mean, it was in response to, you know, um, the wishes of Indigenous community that something be done. And uh, it's an, it was an inclusive process. It was wide. There were hundreds of people that were inc- included in the dialogue. So many voices were heard. And I believe that the recommendations provide us with a way forward. Now, the recommendations, as I understand, come from, uh, as it's worded in the report, like the, the grandfather. Can you explain a bit, a bit about what that means? Well, it's the teaching of the Anishinaabe, the Ojibwe people, um, who, who make up part of the Anishinaabe. They have the seven grandfather teachings. So those are like the core principles that human beings should aspire to as, as they live their life. They're, you know, truth, honesty loyalty, courage. I can never remember all seven, but I, that's one of the things I did appreciate about the report is that it's framed utilizing the seven grandfather teachings. And further, that the uh, writer of the report was also mindful of the teachings of the Haudenosaunee Great Law of Peace, which is peace, power, and righteousness. So having a good mind, carrying peace and strength of character and forever. Another theme that I picked up on in the report is the theme of balance. So the theme of balance between, uh, you know, students, maybe non-Indigenous or Indigenous, and in terms of balancing, you know, concerns about someone's background uh, when teaching Indigenous courses. Um, you know, just uh, I'd like some more some more insight in, in, into this. Well, it's always been a long-term goal or vision that we will have an Indigenous Studies department or program or department here, I guess. We do have a program now. We started with the minor, and then last year we were approved for the major and the medial. So, um, and you know, the purpose of our Indigenous Studies program is, is twofold at least, you know. It's because Queen's graduates you know, decision makers, policy makers, people of influence, it's important that they leave here with an understanding of the realities of Indigenous people and our shared history together in order to be, you know, contributing well-informed citizens of the country. Um, And for Indigenous 
youth who are maybe exploring their own background, their heritage, their culture, their histories for the first time, this might be the place where they're learning about things that they hadn't had opportunity to learn before. So I believe that there's place, there's room in our Indigenous Studies program for both Indigenous scholars and settler scholars. There are many well-renowned settler scholars of Indigenous Studies um, across the country, you know, who are very much respected. So I think there's a place for both in our program. What are some of your hopes for this new uh, Oversight Council? Well, you know, it's been said by many people that the university any university, because this is an issue across the whole sector, as colonized institutions don't have the authority or the right to determine who is or is not Indigenous, member of, have citizenship or member of Indigenous community. So um, the hope is that this Indigenous Oversight Council will help to um, determine how we verify those things or what our policies and what our processes will be moving forward as we hire, you know, more faculty, more staff, and the things that we need to consider. And they'll also be providing direction on how we implement the recommendations. Are you a Kingston Transit user? Have you experienced any service disruptions or found out your bus route is not running? I spoke with Director of Transit Services, Jeremy DaCosta, to find out why these disruptions have been occurring. I understand right now there are some service disruptions with Kingston Transit. Do you have any information uh, with regards to who that's affecting, maybe particular bus routes? Um, as, of th as of this particular moment, uh, there are no service disruptions or interruptions. However, um, they can occur. It depends on the circumstances of, of each day. Um, mm -hmm. But any interruptions or disruptions that we've had have been quite limited, very localized. Um, and so there aren't, again, right at this moment in time, we don't have any service interruptions or disruptions. We're meeting all of our uh, committed service levels. Do we have a shortage of bus drivers locally? Um, so there are a variety of reasons why we might uh, not be able to deliver all of our service on any particular day. One of the most, uh, one of the variables that is still relevant um, to our industry as it is in other industries, if you're seeing, you know, headlines uh, locally or from, from elsewhere across the country, is, you know, the impacts of COVID are, are still real. Uh, we still do have staff on a daily basis who may screen out of the workplace because they um, have COVID or symptoms, um, you know, related or associated with COVID, and they can't report to work. That That is the one of the biggest variables we're still dealing with uh, right now. Myself, myself I, I, I had that circumstance happen to me just a couple of weeks ago where I had symptoms consistent with COVID, and I was unable to report to work either. And so that is something that is very hard to predict. It's very, something that can change in a moment, obviously, if a bus operator uh, finds himself in that situation. And so that, that's one of the variables we're we're certainly um, facing. One of the other factors is um, two years ago when um, COVID began, uh, we went through a period where we laid off, our services were reduced and we laid off um, all of our part-time bus operators. And during that period of more than a year where that, that was taking place, uh, we didn't hire any bus operators as well because we weren't going to hire bus operators. Well, we had bus operators on layoff. But during that period, we did have bus operators who retired or transferred to other departments here at the city. And so as, we, as we're coming out of COVID, as ridership is returning, as we're trying to reestablish our service levels, 
we have a deficit of bus operators because we simply didn't hire for um, for a period of time during COVID. So we're recovering from that as well, trying to uh, hire staff, you know, basically in a period of time when we we did not. Uh, understood. Okay. So so would you say that right now things are actually starting to improve with with reliability in in that department? They are, yeah, and I, I, certainly uh, with every day, uh, we continue to hire more staff. In fact, I conducted a final evaluation with one of our new staff just this morning, and so now they've joined us. Uh, we have, oh, at least seven more currently in active training and more that are planning to start training soon. So the situation is definitely improving. And again, I would say that um, the situation is, you know, the, the number of cancellations we're facing or service reductions we're facing is not, is not significant. Um, you know, the last reduction, you know, route cancellation we had was last Saturday for a very short period of time where one of our routes went to uh, every 60-minute frequency instead of every 30-minute frequency. So we're doing everything we can to minimize the impact. But I would agree, yes, it, it is absolutely um, improving. And we have, you know, we have a, a path forward to, to get more operators hired um, as we continue through this year. Okay, well, I'm glad we had this conversation because this certainly tells a different story than than the headline I saw earlier today. Okay. Yes, it for sure. And I guess, you know, what I would say to your listeners is the following, which is we are still subject to further service reductions, right? We are dealing, um, we, we continue to deal with the, with, uh, the COVID situation. Um, things can change on a daily basis. So it, there is a possibility that we will still see some service reductions, but it's, it, I really want to you know, stress for your listeners that uh, we do everything we can before we cancel um, a route, and that sometimes means assigning other staff who would not normally drive a bus to drive a bus, for example, to ensure that we can deliver service. And we only ever reduce service is if we have exhausted every option available to us. I'm a bus rider too. I take the bus every day. Um, took it to work this morning. I take it to work, <laughs> take it home after work this afternoon. These service cuts, we know anytime we have to reduce service or there's a service reduction, we know that impacts our passengers. It absolutely does. And, be, and I'm a passenger too. I know what it means. When your bus doesn't show up, it doesn't show up when expected. It doesn't get you where you need to go. And so um, and we, we don't take that lightly. It's really important to us that we can deliver all the service we've committed to. You're listening to The Scoop on CFRC 101.9 FM, CFRC.ca, and podcasting through Spotify and iTunes. I'm Kareem Mosna. City Council is scheduled to meet tomorrow night at 7. A few items of note, including a request for noise exemption for Queen's University orientation events coming up in September. Also, a request for Council to direct the Kingston Arts Council to release the operating grants and project grants valued at over $613,000 to the successful applicants. Also on the agenda, the proposed implementation of community safety zones. Phase 1 for the 2022-2023 school year includes two pilot projects in the Westwoods and Strathcona Park area, where speed limits will be reduced to 40 kilometers an hour, 30 kilometers an hour in school areas. Phase 2 will look at expansion to all schools in Kingston for the fall of 2023. And finally, the manager of climate leadership with the Kingston Community Climate Action Fund will look for council's authorization to execute funding agreements with participating organizations. A new five-year strategy has been released from the Council of the Great Lakes region. The strategy, Forging a Future Without Waste, looks to effectively create a circular economy of reusing and recycling for plastics. 
The strategy has then identified the following priorities. Clean up and stop plastic waste and litter from entering the Great Lakes watershed. To accelerate the development of plastic packaging recycling supply chains and markets. And to influence consumer behavior and policy along with investing in technologies and infrastructure to increase the amount of plastics being recycled. According to the Council, every year 12.8 million tons of recyclable plastic packaging materials ends up in the landfill. That's $2.1 billion worth of reusable plastics. This, of course, having a very adverse effect on the environment. In sports, a release from Sale Canada, the 2022 49er 49er FX in NACRA 17 European Championship, which ended yesterday in Denmark. Kingston's Ali Tenhove and Mariah Millen of Toronto were the top Canadian team in the 49er FX class. Ten Hove and Millen said, We sailed a strong final series to help us move up the rankings. We are excited to take this momentum forward in the lead-up to the Worlds in Canada. In the 49er class, Ari Moffat of Kingston and Samuel Bonin of Toronto were the top Canadians. The World Championships are scheduled from August 31st to September 5th in St. Margaret's Bay, Nova Scotia. Now, over to Christina. Let's find out what's been going on locally in the arts scene. Hello, I'm Christina Laurie coming in with your arts news updates. The mysterious projecting artist has struck again. You may recall the unexplained projections accompanied by music spotted at Novel Idea on Princess Street July 1st. Last Saturday night on July 8th at about 9.30pm, an interesting video projection appeared on the side of one of the tour boats at the bottom of Brock Street. The video projections were of winter scenes and appear to have been taken by a drone. One was a video of a lone skater making his way along the icy path on the river adjacent to Doug Fleur Park. Another was of the Wolf Island Ferry cutting its way through a channel in Lake Ontario ice, again from a drone's perspective. About 15 minutes later, the two unidentified video artists went over to the Centennial Fountain and projected into the pool and onto the large concrete arch over the pool. It seems this is only the beginning, so be sure to keep your eye out for more sites like this around Kingston. Many notable exhibitions came to a close at Agnes this weekend, including Brown Butter, Hidden Currents, and The Dark Room. With the closing of these exhibitions, many new ones are coming along to guide Agnes's closure at the end of the year and their reemergence. Ongoing exhibits include Land Protectors and Collection Count and Care. Also continuing and bridging the transition Agnes is undergoing is an exhibition entitled Transformations. Agnes's Stonecroft Foundation artists in residence, along with graffiti artists, are engaged in a project which culminates in a site-specific commission for the exterior facades of Agnes's current facility. Transformations remains until the construction for Agnes Reimagined begins in summer 2023. The soonest upcoming new exhibition will be the Fabrics of Representation this Saturday on the 16th of July and running until December. This exhibition highlights the ability of art to closely mimic nature and this well-established trope in European painting of the early modern era. For more information on all of these exhibitions and more, you can go to agnes.queensu.ca. Union Gallery is thrilled to open the summer season with two exhibitions, Imagining Sustainable Futures and What Are You Reading? Imagining Sustainable Futures features works by nine student and professional artists based in Kingston who engage with urgent local and global issues. Each artist in the exhibition reflects on how their practice contributes to visualizing sustainable futures in their immediate communities and those around the world. Addressing aspects of the United Nations Sustainable Global Development Goals, this collaboration between Queen's Global Summer and the Union Gallery examines their immediate and future implications on local and global communities. 
Using eco-friendly and found materials, the socially and environmentally conscious works in Imagining Sustainable Futures demonstrate the dire effects of climate change while capturing the resilience of local environments and communities around Kingston. Taken together, these works foster productive conversations about collective action and individual responsibility towards imagining sustainable futures for our communities. This exhibition opened on July 7th, and you'll be able to catch it in the main space of the Union Gallery until July 23rd. The closing reception and live performance taking place on July 22nd at 1 p.m. The second exhibition, entitled What Are You Reading?, is a curatorial invitation to engage with materials drawn from the Union Gallery's resource library. In tandem with the exhibition Imagining Sustainable Futures, the curator brings together a collection of catalogs and newspapers alongside her own designs inspired by the text. The selected readings emphasize and address global issues including areas of social inequality, climate change, and environmental protection. Viewers are encouraged to sit with the hopeful, the scary, and everything in between. The exhibition's curator highlights that this iteration of What Are You Reading centers Indigenous knowledge systems and teachings, stemming from the understanding that all things are living. This exhibition runs alongside Imagining Sustainable Futures from July 7th to 23rd. Driftwood Theatre is presenting King Henry V as a free performance at Lyons Civic Gardens July 15th. King Henry V celebrates the theatre company's return to live performance with a bold reworking of three Shakespeare plays performed by only five actors. King Henry V is a powerful story about community, the families we inherit, and those we choose, and the legacies we leave behind. Committed to bringing theatre to places people love with the Bard's Bus Tour, Driftwood Theatre will perform the show at the Lyons Civic Gardens, located behind the Kingston Frontenac Public Library's Isabel Turner Branch. Drop by the KFPL Pop-Up Library booth and check out the library's theatre collections. The event is on July 15th from 7.30 to 9.30 p.m., and you can reserve free tickets at TicketTaylor.com. Presented by the Real Out Queer Film Festival, the Real In Straight Cis Film Festival is currently taking place at the Screening Room. This festival is a subversive, tongue-in-cheek response to critiques of queer film festivals. This classic film screening series will take place on Sundays at 7pm during the month of July at the Screening Room. Women in Love played yesterday on July 10th, but you can still catch the last three films, with Leave Her to Heaven on July 17th, Mommy Dearest on July 24th, and Polyester on July 31st. A generous donation will expand access to a free music program for children in low-income households in Kingston. A $533,000 gift from Bader Philanthropies will guarantee funding for the next three years for Systemic Kingston, an intensive after-school music program for elementary students, focused on positive social development through the pursuit of musical excellence. Serving children from low-income and marginalized communities, Systemic Kingston is housed in the Queen's Faculty of Education, which provides administrative support, office and storage space, and student-teacher volunteers. The gift will allow Systemic Kingston to reach more children by expanding its program to the Algonquin and Lakeshore Catholic School Board, and provide more practicum placements and hands-on learning opportunity for the Queen's education students. Systemic Kingston, which started in 2015, runs from October to May. Beginning in grade 2, students participate for 10 hours a week, and the program culminates in a year-end concert at the Isabel Bader Center for the Performing Arts. With a goal to eliminate barriers to accessibility, Systemic Kingston provides high-quality music instruction at no cost to families and works with the Joe Chifflin Memorial Musical Lending Library to provide free string instruments. The program goes beyond just learning to play the violin or cello. Systemic Kingston focuses on the whole child by supporting emotional wellness and creating safe spaces for personal expression. It also offers a nutritious food program to make sure kids have the energy they need to thrive. 
Systemic Kingston had to scale back programming due to COVID-19 restrictions, yet it highlighted that technology can be a tool to help teach. Reflecting on lessons learned during the pandemic, the grant gives Systemic Kingston an opportunity to explore how to balance the benefits of technology and the online environment with the benefits of in-person engagement in an equitable way for students from all economic backgrounds. The new funding from Bader Philanthropies ensures the program grows and thrives by expanding to a new school board and providing more opportunities to both aspiring young musicians and student teachers. Queen's University is excited to once again host a variety of summer camps on campus after a two-year hiatus due to the pandemic. Along with the return of 10 in-person Queen's camps, there are some exciting new programs being offered. Summer camp season kicked off July 4th, with camps running throughout the summer. Queen's camps annually welcome over 3,000 youth through the camps and employ over 100 post-secondary students. The Queen's Summer Engineering Academy is offering a QSEA Girls Program and a QSEA Black Youth in STEM program for the first time this year. Both programs are free of charge and are aimed at reducing barriers for these underrepresented groups. Queen's Athletics and Recreation, the leading camp provider in the Kingston area with their Q Camps, is offering some new camps including the Gales Rugby Junior and Senior Skills, Survivor Camp, Jointly Led Art and Sports Camps, and Code, Create and Play with Code Ninjas. There are camps being offered for all ages and interests, from science to drama, art to eco-adventures, and from math to sports. The ever-popular Science Quest, run by the Queen's University Engineering Society Student Group, has camps specializing in robotics, science, computing, and offers girls-specific camps. Campers with the Agnes Art Camp will get to explore making art through sculpting, painting, printmaking, collage, and more. Most camps have limited availability, Please visit the camp websites for details. The Local Arts Residency returned to the Kingston Grand Theatre with the announcement of seven local artists bringing their creative talent to the Local Arts Residency this summer. First launched in 2021 in response to the pandemic and its impact on the performing arts, the Local Arts Residency has become an annual program delivered by the City's Arts and Culture Services Department. It provides space and support to Kingston artists to explore ideas, create, and nurture new directions in their work. A few of the 2022 artists and residents wrapped up their performances on Friday. From July 4th to 8th, Jan LeClaire took the Regina Rosen Auditorium with her musical talents, while at the same time in the Baby Grand, Melissa Noventa and Zara Badwabafo showcased years of dance training. Kicking off today on Monday, July 11th, and continuing until the 15th, Lydia Wilton will be taking over the Regina Rosen Auditorium. Lydia Wilton is a music producer, songwriter, recording artist, and audio engineer in Kingston, Ontario. She's also known as Number One, the frontman of Canadian rock band Nameless Friends. Lydia's production discography spans credits in glam rock, children's musical theater, indie, folk punk, and more. In the Baby Grand from July 11th to 15th will be Sophia Fabili, Zoe Sweet, and Sarah Kitts. Sophia Fabili is an award-winning playwright, writer, actor, producer, and creator. Zoe Sweet is a performer, theater maker, producer, movement coach, instructor at Queen's University, and co-artistic director at Fevergraph Theater Company. Sarah Kitts is a director, creator, actor, teacher, and coach. The residencies will be documented through photography and videography and shared on the city's website and social media channels to provide a behind-the-scenes look at the 2022 artists in residence. In music news, Music in the Gardens presented by Carico kicked off last week on Thursday, July 7th. The first performing artist on July 7th was Al Lerman, and this week it will be Rick Fines on July 14th. 
Music in the Gardens, presented by Carico, is a free concert series held at the Lion Civic Gardens and is brought to the community by the city in partnership with the Kingston Musicians Union Local 518 and Carico. Concerts will be held on each Thursday in July and August. Performances will start at 7 p.m. unless otherwise stated. Music in the Park is still going strong with what will be over 60 free outdoor concerts in total this summer. There are lots of options to catch a variety of live music with the Lunchtime series, running Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Saturdays from 12.30 to 1.30 p.m. in Confederation Park. There's also Downtown Country on Thursdays from 7 to 8 p.m. in Confederation Park and Big Band Friday from 7 to 8 p.m. in Springer Market Square. Sounds on Sydenham is also on Saturdays from 1.30 to 2.30 p.m., and you can enjoy live performances on Sydenham at Princess Street. There are also live kid-friendly shows at the same place, Silly Sounds on Sydenham, every Saturday morning at 10.30, so be sure to catch some live music this summer downtown. Here at CFRC, we're celebrating our 100th anniversary with a centennial concert coming up at the end of July. We have a great lineup of local musicians with Hinterwood, Melancholy Caravan, Frank Ryan, and the Codas performing. Doors will open at 5. That will be on July 29th. Doors will open at 8 p.m. and music starts at 9. And you can get your tickets in advance on Eventbrite for $15 or for $20 cash at the door. That's all I have for you today. Thank you for tuning in to this week's Arts News Updates on CFRC 101.9 FM. Thank you very much, Christina. For more arts news and interviews, be sure to check out Christina's show, The Kingston Curator, Thursday afternoons at 5, right here on CFRC. Looks like a very warm week in Kingston. Showers beginning tonight, risk of a thunderstorm, the low 20. Tomorrow, showers end in the morning, still a 40% chance of showers and the risk of a thunderstorm. The high 25, with the humidity, it's in a field closer to 32. Then Wednesday and Thursday, sun and clouds both days, high Wednesday 26, high 25 on Thursday. Thank you for listening to The Scoop this week on CFRC 101.9 FM, broadcasting from Kingston, Ontario, on the traditional lands of the Anishinaabe and Haudenosaunee people. You can find previous episodes of The Scoop by going to cfrc.ca.